So we've talked about a lot of the bad stuff with the cannabis industry. The ways that some people are being not only left out of the booming cannabis business, but still arrested and policed, even as people like me can easily go pick up a packet of Obama Kush at the corner store. But what about the future? How can we make this better? I called up someone who is excited about the future of cannabis. My name is Sarah Batterby. I am the uh, CEO of Hi-Fi Farms, which is a cannabis cultivation company. Sarah is a proud small farmer of America. She just happens to farm pot. And business is good. Right now, she grows 20 pounds of medical-grade marijuana a month in the suburbs of Portland. Because recreational marijuana sales just became legal in the state, she's now hugely expanding her business, from 300 square feet of growing space to 3,000 square feet with plans to sell 100 pounds of medical and recreational marijuana a month. She's also the founding chair and director of the Portland chapter of Women Grow, a national networking group for women in the cannabis industry. In her experience, the multi-billion dollar cannabis industry is a golden opportunity. Since the industry is being built from the ground up, people like Sarah are hoping it can be more welcoming to women than industries that are already established. Well, I came from an industry that is definitely male-dominated. I my, kind of migrated to cannabis from technology and venture capital. Both of those industries, um, I would say technology is male-dominated and venture capital, I would say, is practically hostile to women. Um, it's a very, very difficult environment for women. And so when I came to cannabis from those industries, I just was excited to be in a place where uh, it wasn't, the, the dynamics that were in place had less to do with gender than they had to do with the stage of the industry. The industry is so new that there are no pre-established kind of, you know, places where all the influence has gathered or all the money has gathered. So there's no in-club and there's no out-club. There's no, there's no old boys network. There's none of the established kind of old-school protocols that are used to distribute influence and money around in our legacy industries. And so it's kind of a wide open playing field. Historically, women and people of color have not been able to accumulate wealth at the same rates as white men. And when you look at who gets funding from venture capitalists, those people with lots of money who back startups in the Silicon Valley, it's also mostly men. But Sarah says, in her experience, the cannabis industry is different. Remember, she used to work in tech and has seen sexism in the past keep women from getting funding for their projects. But part of what makes cannabis different is that there aren't a lot of experts in it yet, or gatekeepers. What I'm seeing is that money is not discriminating against women in this industry. Now, I don't know why that is. Um, what I would suggest is that there's so, there's so few businesses that both have the ability to make this product really well and also the business acumen to build the business, that if an investor can find a woman who's competent, is doing a good job running her business, has some sense of how business works and how to manage uh, her finances, and she has a good cannabis product, then she's going to be a, a target for investors. And she doesn't have the competition of like thousands and thousands of of companies that are just as good as hers that are being run by men. So it's just different. The numbers are different. The dynamics are different. Um, and there are more investors than there are really competent CEOs to take their money. 
that doesn't mean that starting a cannabis business is a cakewalk for women. To build an equitable industry takes work. And I don't think that we're going to overnight solve the problems of, of, you know, pay equality, capital, you know, distribution, venture capital equality. We're not going to solve those overnight. We're just building the industry from the ground up, and I think it's going to be different. And there are issues like, uh, women have been incredibly um, objectified in the way cannabis is, you know, marketed. It's been branded and marketed in a way traditionally that's not um, very helpful to women. Um, it's really important that if we're going to build the industry differently, then we we craft a new, lang- a new language. You know, that means it, it doesn't just mean the money goes to different people. We have to re-educate people so that when they come into this industry, they understand that we're operating by a different set of guiding principles in relation to how we treat men and women, and that it feels like a place that's accessible to everybody. So at the beginning of the show, I visited the marijuana dispensary run by a bunch of Las Vegas dudes, investors, people who are hoping to make bank on the newly legal pot industry. But not everyone in cannabis is looking to become a millionaire. Some people are hoping to build a different kind of economy. Morning. Hi. Hello. Welcome. How are you? How are you? Yeah, sure. Melissa. Pleasure. Yes. This is Melissa Egan, the owner of a dispensary called Panacea. It's on my medical marijuana dispensary. It's on Sandy Boulevard, which is the Green Mile in Portland, Oregon. The Green Mile meaning there's lots of marijuana dispensaries along the street. The Green Mile, exactly. There you can find the most strains of marijuana on Sandy Boulevard than any other street in the world. What? There are there's nowhere that there are as many dispensaries because there's no schools on Sandy. So every thousand feet. There's no barrier to to getting a dispensary here. Mm, yeah, because in in Oregon you have to be at least a thousand feet away from a school to have a dispensary. Exactly, a thousand feet away from a school and a thousand feet away from another dispensary. So, yep, all up and down Sandy. Her store is cute and decorated with classy wood paneling. All marijuana dispensaries have a waiting room, putting a locked door between the cash-heavy dispensary and the street traffic. But unlike most dispensaries, Melissa has turned her waiting room into a small art gallery. So we have a gallery, and then also it makes it much more friendly. Like, you know, we have restaurant traffic, and I put gallery open to the public there because people would walk by and be like, hmm, you know, cannabis is so scary to people and whatnot. So when I ask Melissa about how she got into cannabis, the answer isn't what you'd expect. Her background isn't in big business or the tech industry, it's in homelessness prevention. Her passion for years has been finding housing for LGBT seniors. Affordable housing is a huge issue, and LGBT folks can face discrimination and ostracism in some housing projects. Melissa spent a long time trying to fundraise to create an LGBT-friendly senior housing project, but she didn't get much money. So instead, she decided to jump into the cannabis industry. Written into her business plan is a promise to give 10% of Panacea's profits to social justice causes. She's hoping to funnel the money from selling cannabis into helping those LGBT seniors. Melissa shows me around her store, which has a tall wooden shelf with glass jars full of marijuana flowers. Um, So we have a couple of strains that are just new in. Um, I'll just start with Blue Power. 
Um, so the strain names are obviously crazy. I kind of joke, I'm a wine person, so I'm much more used to Sauvignon Blanc, Cabernet Sauvignon, and all these names that are just like sophisticated and they last for generations. And then marijuana names are obviously very different. As the cannabis industry develops, Melissa is hoping that it doesn't just create wealth for a few people who already have money. Instead, she wants the new money to grow better lives for folks who need it most. Some call it pot, it has other names, but if it's good grass, the result's the same as in marijuana, yeah, marijuana, marijuana blue. You can buy it by the ounce, you can buy it by the pound. I owe a lot of thank yous for this show. Thanks to John Sepulveda for recording the audio of me buying pot at midnight. Thanks to reporter Kristen McCurdy for an article she published in Street Roots with a lot of the data I cited here. And thanks to Esther Harlow for telling me about her friendly, neighborhood, woman-owned marijuana store. Propaganda is produced by the team here at Bitch Media. Bitch is an independent, nonprofit, feminist media organization. We're entirely funded by our Beehive members, subscribers, and like-minded sponsors. So if you like today's episode of Propaganda, please become a member online at bitchmedia.org today. Let us know you liked the show in your order comments. Our jingle is by Mux and Owen Worker. Additional music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Look up their creative and minimalist sounds by going to Google and typing in sessions.blue. And the show is produced by Alex Ward at the studios of X-Ray FM, an independent radio station in Portland, Oregon. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>